Thanks to Health IQ for supporting today's market foolery. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com/fool and take the proprietary Health IQ quiz and potentially save up to 41% on premiums. It's Tuesday, January 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me in studio, Jason Moser. Happy Tuesday. Howdy. Good weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, I was talking to Andy earlier. I don't need all the details. I just need it's the just, headline. It's just funny. You get to our age, and it's like I'm trying to remember exactly what I did this weekend because those long weekends, it's like another day that you have to remember. It it, it just inevitably, it's just a bunch of shuttling the kids back and forth it's to places. Blur. But it was a good weekend. You same good. Um, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. And we're going to talk a little earnings season because earnings season is going to start to heat up this week. But let's start over in Sweden because the World Economic Forum kicked off in Davos. And this was what, and this happens every year with the World Economic Forum, particularly day one. Uh, often the President of the United States will speak. You have a lot of big name CEOs who are over there. So my financial Twitter feed is just, here's, here's what this CEO said. Here's a, and I looked at a lot of it this morning and just thought, I, I could have predicted that. Like, that's, yeah. that's not noteworthy. Water Ray, is wet, the sky is blue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Ray Dalio, uh, money manager Ray Dalio, Bringing the heat this morning, and and to me, this was the most interesting thing so far in day one of the World Economic Forum, is Dalio basically just coming out and saying, if you have money in cash, start putting it to work in the market right now. Well, I love the cash is trash mantra. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if he was making the flight over there thinking, God, I can't wait to unload this. This is just <laughs> so sweet. Cash is trash. It's going to stick. You know what? He's right so far. I mean, that's what's sticking from the morning. But um, I, I, so, I mean, I, th- I think Ray Dalio is always worth listening to. I mean, I, I'm not saying I agree with everything he says, but he's clearly a very thoughtful, intelligent man who's had a lot of experience in, in, um, in, in the markets through the years. And, and I tend to agree with him when he says that. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, we talk about all the, we get the question all the time, like, what do I do with this cash? I want to maximize the yield on this cash. And there are all sorts of different ways to do that, but it's a lot more difficult now because interest rates are virtually nil. So then you've got to either figure, okay, I've got to put that money into some type of investment vehicle or something else. Um, and, and we always, Make the argument, at least I do, that that having some cash, don't worry about that yield because the liquidity is the yield. Being able to put it to to work when that that time comes, I mean that that's sort of the yield there. Uh, but but generally speaking, I mean we we always talk about staying invested because regardless of your feelings on the market's valuation, we could sit here and talk about the market being overvalued all day long, and maybe it is. But the fact is that all of the businesses that that make this market, they're running every day. They're doing business. They're making money every day. They're putting that money to work. And if you start dipping in and out of the market, trying to time it somewhat, you eliminate the value that compounding can offer to your portfolio. And that really is the key to longer-term success. So, I'm not a big fan of stockpiles of cash to begin with. Um, I did think it was kind of interesting his gold versus Bitcoin. Um, Can we talk about that for sure, a second? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Dalio comes out. He makes these comments, and and look, we're fans of stocks. So I think that's part of why we're we get a little excited about seeing something like this, where where someone with 
Dalio's expertise, intelligence, and track record is pounding the table, saying, "Get out of cash." <laughs> but he, as you indicated, he goes on to basically say, "You should absolutely have a position in gold." And I would stay away from Bitcoin. And I don't know enough about how Dalio and his team at Bridgewater are investing their money. Um, my assumption is, if they're not shorting Bitcoin, they're certainly staying away from it. I'm guessing they have some level. Uh, I'm assuming he's walking the walk, and he's got some level of investment in gold. But that's one of those where I just sort of think I've never invested in gold, and it's hard for me to imagine that I I would just because it's not interesting to me. I I, I agree. I mean, it's not interesting to me either, and I don't own any gold. I don't have any gold exposure. I do understand the logic behind it being a hedge, um, and there is some value there. I appreciate what he said about Bitcoin because, again, I tend to agree. I mean, I'm sure there is a future where there is a place for Bitcoin. I think that given what we know today, anybody that gets out there and tells you they know the future of Bitcoin and the role that it's going to play in our economy and our global financial system is just straight up lying because nobody knows. I mean, they're just making a guess, and that's what everybody else would be doing at this point. Uh, and so, I think that when it comes to Bitcoin and digital currency, cryptocurrency, that that is a very difficult one to nail. And and so, for me, it's easier just to say, you know what, I'm going to take a pass because as he as he rightly observed, I mean, you're looking at currency essentially as a medium of exchange or a store of value. And and I don't know that it's really. I'm not convinced, and it. Doesn't sound like he is either. That Bitcoin hits on either one of those. Uh, gold clearly does to a degree. Um, and then I think the other big question that everybody's starting to kick around now is: It's 2020. It's an election year. How should I invest? And uh, we talk all the time about: Hey, don't don't let that tail wag the dog, so to speak. I pulled up some really neat data from my partner in crime on Monday's industry focus shows, Matt Frankel. and He had a recent article that he published out on Fool.com. It was an Ask a Fool about investing in the election years and whatnot. Just some interesting data to keep in mind here in how this election season could play out and what effect it could have on stocks. In the average election year since 1900, the S&P 500 has gained 9.5%. That happens to be in line with the overall long-term average, so no no big waves there. Since 1928, Republicans have won 11 presidential elections. In those election years, the S&P has averaged a total return of 15.3%. Democrats have won 12 times, with an average total return of 7.6% in those election years. And then finally, when we talk about election years, it's not always just the president, right? We're also talking about the House and we're talking about the Senate and whatnot. But it's also worth noting in the year after an election, the president's first full year in office, the average S&P 500 return is just 3.4%. So those are some numbers to chew on, at least as we get closer to this election cycle. Uh, I'm not sitting there making any predictions one way or the other. I can guarantee you that I'm going to be as invested in November as I am right now, if not more. Uh, but that's just some interesting data. Let's get to some stocks. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Matt. Who writes, I'm 16 years old and I listen to your podcast every day. I track the stock market every day. I even scheduled my advisory block for 9 a.m. so I could watch the stock market open. Let's just pause right there for a second. Yeah, wait. What advisory block? Um, 
I want. Uh, I'm like, not even certain what that is. Uh, it's, uh, is he advising people at 16 years old? No, or is he no, getting advice. No, I don't think Matt has hung out a shingle <laughs> yet. Although that that maybe that's his goal at some point. No, it's uh, in high school. You can you, you've got a little bit flexibility in terms of how you schedule your day, and so Matt has. You know, basically got what probably back in our day it was like. Ah, I've got a free period. It's like, you know, it's not a free period. It's an advisory block. You can do any number of things with it. And Matt is choosing to watch the market open. So, man, I had that growing up in high school, and it was like I was a senior. I had gotten almost all of my hours out of the way, and so I had like this free period during my senior year. And and so I worked in the attendance office, and I knew the ladies in the attendance office. You were a cop? I, well, no. I mean, I was a paper pusher, really, because back then it really was paper. There were no computers. But the nice part about it was these ladies were kind of my buddies. One of them went to our local church, and I knew them. So I mean, yes, technically I was working in the attendance office, but man, oh man, I'm not gonna lie. Every once in a while, I'd duck out there and go grab like a snack or something to eat, <laughs> something to drink. There, it was a really nice free period. I can't say at 16 I was. Paying attention to the market like, like this young man. So hats off to you. So Matt's question is: If someone were to give you one thousand dollars and tell you to invest it into the stock market, what stocks would you buy? And he writes: If it were me, I would invest in Alibaba, PayPal, and Micron Technology. Um, nice diversification there, both in terms of the number of stocks and the industries that Matt would invest into. Yeah, and as we've been saying for a while now. With zero trading commissions, um, you know your dollar goes further when you're investing a small amount of money. I think if it were me, I would probably, I wouldn't go with those three. I already own PayPal, but I would aim for somewhere in the neighborhood of three to five stocks. Try and get a little diversification right out of the gate, uh, and and possibly spread it into a basket. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I'd try to buy at least two, if not three, because you're right. Now you can just. There are no trading commissions, and uh, I, I so I, I recently recently got this question on Twitter. Someone had asked me about some of the the companies that I own, and all things being equal, were there were there companies in there that I would want to add to? And there were, but priority wise, they got me thinking. And rather than adding to those positions, there are really a couple of other companies that I want to get into my portfolio as, as soon as I can. And I'm really kind of just waiting for trading guidelines to allow me to do it. Um, one is Adobe, and I've talked a lot about Adobe before on this show and Motley Fool Money. But um, you know, Adobe is ultimately a digital media company, but just a tremendous subscription model. Uh, I am really excited about what they've got with Adobe Arrow in the in the interactive and AR space, immersive uh, technology, and so there's just a lot of different reasons to really like what they're doing. And I don't know if you call margins dreamy, but if you can, no. Adobe's got some dreamy margins, <laughs> like 85, 90 percent gross margins. <laughs> Those are an investor's best friend. Uh, so Adobe is one, and then the other one that would balance, I think. This out, I got a little bit of a lower risk holding in Adobe, and in another one, maybe a little bit of a higher risk valuation wise, at least would be Zoom Communications, right? Zoom Video Communications. Um, it may have to remove the video at some point or another because I know they're they're beyond video at this point. But but I think Zoom is another company that I I love what they're doing on the tech side. It really does work well. Um, I think that we're only going to see virtual meetings grow as time goes on. And I've always been a bit surprised at the lack of investment in Skype on Microsoft's part. It's not to say Skype is bad. Skype is good. I use it. But man, I tell you, Zoom is really clever, and it's it's a great solution for a lot of small and medium-sized businesses out there as well. 
we we use it here, and I think a lot of us do do like it. So those are the two that I would buy: would be Adobe and Zoom. I would like you. I would look to invest in something new. I wouldn't look to my portfolio and think, well, what can I buy shares of that I already own? I would look to get into something like housing, which I don't really have any housing exposure in my portfolio, other than the one you live in. Other than the one I yeah. live in, and that's enough, by the way. For most people, that's plenty. Absolutely, and just—I uh, don't want to dwell on this, but uh, I know I've never heard margins described as dreamy. Well, maybe we're—I've I've heard them described as attractive, juicy, juicy, yeah. and and also fat. Fat. I love that company. It's got some fat <laughs> margins. B H A T. No, F-A-T. just regular F A T fat margins. Quick shout out to Health IQ. If you are a runner, a cyclist, if you're doing CrossFit. If you're like me and you're starting to do spin fusion class, uh, which is uh, which is one, it's kind of like eating your vegetables. It was really that's what exercise yeah, is. I like vegetables though a lot. So. Oh, okay. Well, then we're gonna have to disagree on this. So. <laughs> but if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. Health IQ can save you up to forty-one percent because physically active people have significantly lower risks. For heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash fool. Take the proprietary Health IQ quiz, and then depending on your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com. Slash fool. We're not looking to get Matt in trouble with his teachers. No, I just no. don't know if his teachers are aware. Maybe he's being upfront about it. Like, look, this has happened. Look, advisory starts at nine. That you know, the bell rings at nine thirty. That's what I'm going to be doing from nine twenty nine to nine thirty one. That's what I'm doing. If you're a teacher and you're hammering Matt over that kind of behavior, man, you got some bigger fish to fry. Yeah, right? really. Matt's not causing problems yeah. here. No, look, he's, he's he's part of the solution. But that other kid who sits in the back, <sighs> that kid, he's the worst. No good. Uh, question from Gwen in Oklahoma who writes: I know diversification is important, but are there any industries that you avoid completely? If so, which ones and why? Great question, and uh, one of them. And Ron Gross has made this point, and I'm right there with him, which is big banks. I just don't feel like I have any kind of edge with big banks, and that's why I don't invest in them. Even though, to go back to Davos for a second, we saw a couple of big bank CEOs, and I'm gonna. Tangent for just a second here, <laughs> Go but for it. but unlike when Barker is sitting here, this is actually an <laughs> investing-related tangent. I I find that I I am with I'm completely with, and I understand CEOs sort of talking up their business, particularly when they're doing live television and they're saying, "Well, this is what we're trying to do, and this is where we're going to go," and whether they're being aspirational or whatever. I'm all for CEOs defending their companies. The one line that I draw is, I really don't like it when CEOs talk about their own stock (laughs) as being cheap. I just don't like hearing that come out of a CEO's mouth, because now it feels like you're trying to sell me on buying your stock. Use all the euphemisms around that you want, but to sit there and just be like, and I think our stock's really cheap right now. Like, oh, dude, don't say that. Talk about how you think it's undervalued. Just, Just don't. Just don't cross that line. Well, and I think you make a really good point there because I agree. And, and it yes, could be just, yes, it was a big bank CEO who said that this morning. <laughs> and it could very well just be semantics, right? I mean, I do think using the word cheap, there is a salesy sort of feeling that comes along with that. But if 
I mean, if, if that CEO says, we think that our stock represents a very good value, maybe that's a better way to frame it. I totally understand where you're coming from. And I don't like to hear that either, because frankly, I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Um, I, I do. So for me, I, there are two markets that, that stand out immediately when it comes to this. And one is is energy, and primarily oil and natural gas. In in, it's not that I don't invest in that stuff because I'm anti fossil fuels. I mean, we got to make the world turn, and, and I mean, I understand oil and gas's role in that. And in as we you know evolve and our energy systems get better, we'll have more options. Uh, but for me, it just became abundantly clear through the years that I got really sick. Of trying to time the energy cycle to get in and out of those investments, because really buying these oil companies and gas companies, it's very difficult to buy them and just hold them blindly, because they are they are fairly volatile. They do ebb and flow, and, and energy prices are very dependent on a lot of things. Geopolitical crisis being one of them, and it feels like we have a new geopolitical crisis every day now. So I, I tend to stay away from that space because of those reasons. And another space is cybersecurity, and the main reason is because I know what I don't know. I straight up don't know how that stuff works. I don't know what makes one better than another. I do know that we're going to have to have cybersecurity in some way, shape, or form for the rest of our lives. But I don't know what makes one necessarily better than another. I have no edge in that space, and frankly, I have no desire to learn about it. And so that's another line where I just said, you know what, I'm not going to mess with that space. If I was ever required to have cybersecurity exposure, I would just do it via ETF. Uh, but I would do that um, under protest as well <laughs> because I just don't know enough about it, and I and I don't really want to learn about it. Well, and it's not like I, what's interesting to me is you just. Laid out two very different industries for very different reasons. Yeah. And in the case of cybersecurity, I think we both believe strongly that cybersecurity will continue to grow and become important. But yeah, to your point, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, if I had to invest in cybersecurity, I think I would walk straight up to the fifth floor of this building, talk to our tech team, and just be like, all right, what. What do we use at this company, and why do we use it? And walk me through the payment system of the company that we're using, and are they publicly traded? That kind of thing. Because I just, uh, I like you, I'm, I'm wallowing in ignorance when it comes to cybersecurity. And I think that's a great uh, resource that you just brought up. There is, is when you don't know about something, man, consult some of the people in your life, people you work with, or people in your family. Because I'm certain that uh, you can find resources that can at least give you a better big picture view. And and you know if you're on the fence, maybe that big picture view could really help make that decision for you. I mean, all I know is when I read through this cybersecurity stuff, I mean, just the, the language alone. I mean, it's just it's esoteric. And I mean, I know investing language is esoteric, and a lot of the stuff that we do is. But it's just to the point where I, I just don't understand it. I can't get a grip on it to be comfortable enough with it to, to ever want to invest in it. Even though I know that the future is there's going to be more cyber. There's going to be a lot more cyber. I mean, cyber has huge tailwinds. And hopefully security. And security's going to have to be a part of that. I'm just not going to be investing in it. Real quick before we wrap up, uh, earnings season started last week, uh, really starts to heat up this week and the, and the next few weeks. What is something you're going to be watching, whether it's an industry, a trend, a company, a CEO on a conference call? 
Uh, yeah. So, I mean, for me, everything is revolving around augmented reality, virtual reality, immersive technology. Um, so, there are a couple of things that I'm watching. One is a company that recently just spun out from Nuance Communications. I've mentioned it before. It's called Serence. Um, and Serence builds automotive cognitive assistance solutions. So, they're basically just building this cool tech for your cars. And uh, again, as I mentioned, it was a spinoff from Nuance in October, bringing AR and AI into automobiles, whether it's for information, entertainment, safety, or convenience features. Uh, recently, we had a couple of fools, Rex and uh, Sam, who went out to the Consumer Electronics Show, and they were able to stop by the Serence booth and were just very impressed with what they saw there. So, Serence is a company I'm excited to see their report and just get a better idea of the, of the, the business going forward. And then, on the other side of that, I mean, I know all of the news has been around big tech and trillion-dollar market caps. I'm, I'm really paying attention to these big tech companies to see about the progress they're making on the hardware side for this immersive technology. You've got Facebook with Oculus in the headlines a lot here recently. Microsoft has HoloLens 2 getting ready to drop. Google working on Glass for enterprise solutions. Amazon has an investment in a company called North that is you know, augmented reality glasses that actually look like real glasses, Chris. Um, and then Apple is coming out with something. We don't know what it is, but Tim Cook is big on the uh, the merits and future of, of AR and, and MR and whatnot. So, I'll be searching all of those calls for all of that immersive technology language to see where they stand and what we have coming in 2020. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>